Jeremy, welcome to the show. I think you, you are uh, accomplishing something that um, I, I'm even scared to, to say that I would even uh, take on. I have one son who is uh, nine years old, and uh, we're you know, making our way through uh, homeschooling. And I recently uh, went under the dilemma of when do you give your children their own Google account? And uh, mm-hmm. this has been hypothetically discussed in my household for a while. But with the recent events, uh, I just made the, uh, the, the decision that we're going to go ahead and everyone is graduating. Everyone's graduating up in technology. They're getting their own Google accounts. They're getting Zoom accounts. They're getting access to Fortnite because, you know, that's, that's the only way for yep. the kids to, to actually uh, communicate. So my question is, like, so at nine years old, I've made the, we made the move in third grade, which was, I think, two years ahead of schedule. But in your case, you're looking at, what, nine, seven, and three? So have you accelerated the technolo- technology adoption of your younger children? That's a good question. You know, I almost think that the current situation has forced our hands because the here in Illinois, in, outside of Chicago, the school districts have decided to create Google accounts for all the students. And my daughter goes into Google uh, you know, spreadsheets and does presentations and her homework there. So the schools have kind of already forced our hands for the nine and the seven year olds. Yeah, no, I, I found exactly the same. And uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, one of the things in elementary school that they talk about is like handwriting. That's like an important skill. And, yep. and like, not to like out my son, it's not doesn't have great handwriting, but, they, but he, he does really enjoy technology and typing. And it's like, well, that whole handwriting thing, not really going to be a problem this <laughs> this quarter. Not going to be a real <laughs> issue. Not going to be strong grades on that. So, but I guess, yes. what are you doing? What about the third? Uh, you said, was it three years old? Your youngest? Yes. Did they get like ex- accelerated iPad access or something, or what did what did they get? Yeah. So YouTube Kids. You know, while the big kids are playing Minecraft, uh, some YouTube Kids. Um, you know, or some uh, uh, some streaming on like Netflix, watching some Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. Right. Some some good old classics. Some Looney Tunes. You know, some good old. Yeah. Uh, simple cartoons that they can enjoy. Uh, you know, of course, because it's uh, it's funny like how everything gets adopted. Because you know, we we started with YouTube Kids, but this mm-hmm. is, I guess, another one of my pet peeves with YouTube. Is so my son got it right. I gave him an account. I gave him a Google mm-hmm. Family account. And he's nine, and like you know, he's got email and everything. So so what does he do? He logs in and he's wants to watch YouTube and like he is long since graduated from YouTube kids. Cause you know, whatever mm-hmm. he's on, on the regular YouTube. Yes. I'm a bad parent, but that's where all the Fortnite, all the stuff he wants to see sure. is there. So then he logs in and it's like, and then it's, he tries to go to YouTube. He's like, it's not working. And so I finally, I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, well, now they know he's nine and they've taken it away. I'm like, this uh-huh. is, which is fine. Okay, fine. You can take it away. So I'm like, surely I'll go in and just change the settings. So I'll give, I'll give him mm-hmm. access. No, it just says you can't have it until you're 13. So I'm like, right. all right, this is what you have to do. You have to log out of it and then mm-hmm. you can just watch YouTube. And I just, uh-huh. I don't know. I felt like it was a very, uh, I don't know. This is that moment when you feel a little bit, a little bit frustrated with, I guess, YouTube. It's like you put so much content on here for children, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you pretend like kids aren't going to watch it, and you give me right. no way to opt them back into it. So we're just going to pretend they don't have an account. So, so yeah. that was my latest identity and access uh, <laughs> issue with Google. Yeah. So. Okay. Ah, it's frustrating. So yeah, so Google, get on it. But listen, we're not here to talk about our children. We're here right. about how you're you're going to teach. The uh, IT leaders of tomorrow. So why don't you yes. uh, give us a quick introduction? What exactly do you do for a living, and how oh. are you preparing the IT leaders of tomorrow? Sure. So I'm uh, Jeremy Hajek. I'm a professor at Illinois Tech here in Chicago. We're uh, Illinois' uh, technical university. So in America, there are state universities like uh, Michigan, Michigan State, and then there's always a Michigan Tech. Like So we are Illinois' technical university. We're small, about 6,000. We're in Chicago, right across from uh, White Sox Park, if you if any are baseball fans. Um, and we're in an information technology program. I'm, I've been a professor full time here for the last uh, seven years. Uh, before then, I did a, a stint as an IT manager for the department back in the VMware three and four days uh, and managed a small group, a small little help desk internal to the department of a couple students and, you know, took care of lab facilities and racking and stacking for our own internal, uh, you know, uh, uses. And uh, we we realized that. The, the needs of industry and how software is produced, I mean, even the name of this podcast, Software Defined Talk, 
there's been a transition since the dot-com boom and bust we all went through at the turn of the century uh, where it was just learn C-sharp, learn, or it's not C-sharp, C++, you know, learn HTML. Uh, just get out there, you know, there were kids dropping out of high school to go make HTML websites because they could make hundreds of thousands of dollars then. Um, we've It's gotten more complicated, right? You know, JavaScript, NPM, right? Express, Angular, Kubernetes, right? <laughs> you know, and then the question is, how do we deal with these technologies beyond just training people, say, push this button, load this script, uh, or buy this product? Uh, and then the question is, as a university, we, we struggle with that question about how do we teach people? How do we gear that next generation to come out when they graduate, when they're 21, 22, and slide into a conversation that maybe people who are 40 years old working in industry are now having, right? Mm -hmm. And then slide right into that. So I guess picking up on that, like, like what, you know, it feels like a long time ago, but I, probably for some of our listeners, right? Like many of us went to college, the, you know, typically the degrees, if you were interested in tech were computer science, computer engineering is mostly theory, right? A lot of like learning programming language, data structures, uh, at least my experience was really nothing about like how software was really built. It was just like how to think, how to be familiar with these, um, technical concepts and then, you know, you kind of went out and got a job and they kind of taught you, quote unquote, the real way things are done. So so today, like, what are the degrees? Are, are people still going to Illinois Tech? Are they getting a computer science degree? Are you guys offering new degrees? Like, how are you approaching kind of the whole degree structure now? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So computer science still exists. We have our own uh, just computer science program. We have computer engineering. We have electrical computer engineering. Uh, but we also have a discrete information technology program that it's separate from all those other things. Because we realize that there are different categories people fit in, right? There are some people that, you know, want to be computer scientists, right? But there's other people that are interested more in application, you know, applied technology. Uh, and so we're trying to hit everybody at the level they are. So I got into information technology because, you know, as a turn of the century, right, dot com and application complexity increased. There became this demand that the blocker was not, you know, getting venture funding or, or having an idea was how do we deploy this you know, thing into the customer's hand? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what we're focusing on. So we're, we're building upon what all those other departments do. And then we're going to say, we're going to put this into the people's hands, right? And understand those principles. Yeah, we'll train you on uh, technology X because we have to use something, uh, but we're going to put that into your hands, right? And then you understand fundamentally, you know, about networking and routing so that when we bring in Docker, you know, um, which changes kind of the traditional networking stack. People can flow if it's Docker, if it's Red Hat's Podman, if it's, you know, Rocket containers, whatever comes next, right? They'll be able to flow because they get, understand how TCP IP works and how networking works and how, you know, bash scripts and virtual machines work. So what is like when you're counseling someone that comes into, you know, Illinois Tech, right? And they're maybe looking at, you know, like I'm interested in IT and computers and all that. And they're maybe looking at the degree programs. Like do you, is there like a certain type of person that gravitates to your specific program? Is there something that they ask about or is it, they just sort of, you know, is it like a self-selecting crowd? Like who decides to decide, like, I don't want computer science. I want, you know, I want to work with you. So uh, lots of times people come in and they say, uh, I've already been doing stuff. Um, you know, I worked for my high school. I was in, a, you know, a build your own computer club or I did IT work for my uncle's shop. Right. They already come in with, a, you know, a, a background that when we went to like college or high school and, you know, junior high, the, the Raspberry Pi kits and Arduino kits just weren't around. They'll come in and say, yeah, I built a thermometer that monitors, you know, my aquarium and, you know, I have it up on this. Uh, I know last a couple episodes ago, you were talking about scratch, you know, mm -hmm. the kids would be like, yeah, I did scratch since I was five. So they're those, the ones who drift to IT generally have that background where they're like, I've already been doing hands-on stuff, but I've kind of just been exploring. Just plug this in. What happens? Uh, right. you know, copy this script from the internet. See what happens. Follow this tutorial. And they want to know more to put a kind of a holistic picture together to kind of make an impact, you know, with whatever they're going to do in their lives. Not just do a job, but we see a lot of people coming also that are first from first-generation college students. Uh, so they're they're an impact their community, their family, right? They're going to make a, a massive impact uh, 
as opposed to just getting a job and just collecting a check, there's going to be like residual uh, impacts as well. Right. Okay. So that's interesting. So it's almost more like the more experience, you know, I'm just kind of repeating that back to you, but it is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Like the people that kind of know it's like, Oh, I want to do real stuff. So they probably would gravitate you to more like, I don't like, don't teach me, (laughs) don't teach me JavaScript. I don't want to spend a a year learning that. Like I want to like Mm -hmm. actually do something, which that's kind of interesting. That's interesting that they're drawn to your program. Yeah. So what are like, you know, um, so what kind of, what are the classes? I mean, I'm kind of interested in just like, what is the curriculum? Is it, uh, Is it built around specific technologies that you mentioned, or is it built around like, hey, this is like building a DevOps pipeline? Like, what are what are the yeah. core classes that make up your your curriculum? So, I think your question is the the million dollar question for any university. It's always the struggle between do we just teach what's popular now, uh, or do we just teach what you know major companies software platforms are, or do we teach kind of the process and then where the fine line is. So, uh, you know, as the, this particular information technology program was born out of the dot-com era, right? So it comes with, uh, you know, an idea being formed, what the world was like technology-wise, if you, anyone can remember back to 98, 99, 2000, 2001. Um, and then now we're seeing the changes, you know, things like the CNCF exist. Well, that didn't exist in 2001. Uh, that's a standards body. It is, you know, with commercial companies on the on the board, but nonetheless, you know, the OpenJS Foundation, the CICD Foundation, we're seeing these new standard bodies being formed. And so as a, you know, in the academy, we take a look and say, okay, what's the nature of application deployment? You know, and we're trying to teach applied technology. How do you get something into somebody's hands? It involves so many more subjects that we're kind of evolving it. And it's hard to just change things because, you know, in a university you have degrees and you have calendar years, so you can't just randomly change a subject, you know, because <laughs> right. uh, you have contracts where you have to, you know, students have to, you know, graduate and take these courses. Then you have to schedule them and find teachers. So we're changing uh, that in a progression, right? We're, we're moving these technologies in with various professors and kind of like a strangler pattern, so to speak, the whole degree that will be in the next two or three years in information technology won't look like what came out in 2000, 2001. Yeah, that would make sense. I'm sure it changes. Um, as I'm thinking back to my, my experience is we did, like, as I mentioned earlier, it's like a lot of it was the building blocks of like programming languages, data structures, but towards the end, um, I had a class where it was essentially they, if you will, they taught like software defined paradigms and they were sort of mm. like, at that point it was like, this is what waterfall is. This is what, yeah. and then I guess it was really iterative development is really what it was being called then. And so, and I think that was interesting. And looking back on that class was, again, it was more, it wasn't so much like any one of the, the content itself was necessarily great, but it was just more like understanding like here are different ways software is built. And that was just sort of like opening yeah. your mind to, Hey, when you go, look for a job or you talk to people, you're going to encounter yeah. these different methods. So be aware of them. And then if you encounter one that you don't know, you just got to go read about it or ask questions or see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. I mean, cause it does seem like, I always feel like academia is always like frowned upon. Like they don't want to, people always say they don't want to teach tools and they don't want to like get mm-hmm. into the process, but it's like, I don't know. So much of that is like, it's such yeah. a helpful way to like jumpstart your career. So right. I don't know, maybe, maybe in my case they did it at the end. So there was enough mm-hmm. to get going, but you almost yeah. wish that like they would have done it at the beginning. Like, here's how right. this is how you're going to be doing it, and apply this through your four years or however long you're at school. Yeah, and especially as you know, open source has grown. All of those tools that might have been proprietary or expensive uh, in you know turn of the last century, you can download uh, Ubuntu Server, Packer, you know VirtualBox. Uh, NPM, right? You can pull NPM, JavaScript, you can run a virtual machine that has Jenkins, uh, you know, and you can deploy it to AWS and you can run that. Granted, I mean, you're not going to run the whole commercial application off your laptop, but you could do that and build it uh, without needing large, high powered servers off off a general laptop. Yeah, absolutely. So what's a what's a class like? Is it is a lot of lecture? Is a lot of group projects? Like how how do you how do you make it real for this group of next generation IT leaders? So we have to, you know, put them through. Um so information technology, um every class you're going to build something, right? And you're building them in virtual, you know, if you're taking a Python class, you're building a Python app, but you're getting that secondary of like, well, you're installing 
some kind of database or data store along with it. It's running off a Linux virtual machine, right? So we're going to always have you adding those features into whatever subject we're teaching you, whether it's, you know, just here's a variable, here's a method, all the way to, all right, this is a Spring application, this is Maven, here's Maven Central, how we pull that in, you know, connect it to Glassfish and run it, right? And then now push that to Git. So we use Git and uh, uh, and for, for ac academia, GitHub gives out free private uh, accounts. Yeah. So we're like, all right, everybody, you're pushing your code to get and get, you know, GitHub and, and only you and the professor can see it. That way you can look over the history of what code you committed. You know, we can go back and say, oh, what what, what were you thinking at this commit? OK, maybe maybe <laughs> you need to go back review. and a little code review yeah. in there. I like it. Right? <laughs> it helps out because otherwise, if you get the finished assignment, then you kind of have to be the mind reader to be like, hmm, OK, maybe this didn't work out. What what were they interpreting or what were they thinking? Right. And then because you want to help people, you know, learn and, and figure out those answers. So it, it's really good in that way to help see the way people think. Um, as, as you were talking there, I just wondered, is like turning in your assignments now, is it the act of like uh, initiating a pull request? Is that what is that kind of the yeah. is that the new turning in your paper? I, I would think so. Get push. Yeah. yeah like you, you would push it up. Right. Because, um, you know, documentation infrastructure, I think a lot of things you probably do in your day to day job. Uh, they're documented somewhere or versioned somewhere. And so we want to kind of instill this in, t it's not a class you take, there's no like Git class, right. but it's just kind of sprinkled everywhere that, hey, this is the way in a distributed world, uh, especially now all online, um, you get information and you retrieve information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, no, I think, well, the, the it's just like we were talking about with our younger children, right? The it's easier for them to start using it than it is to try to explain it. It's like, we're not going to sit here and explain to you how to use Google Docs, right? It's like, no, mm -hmm. click here and start typing, right? And you'll figure it out. And I think that's probably the same kind of experience with Git and things like that. So what about, okay, so there is all this, you know, as we talk about all the time on the podcast, there's, you know, you know, DevOps and CICD and, you know, all of this stuff that's, um, you know, the industry itself is just trying to figure it out, right? Like, you know, there's like every week, every month, there's a new conference, a, a new paper, mm -hmm. someone's trying to, to um, propose some new, better, faster way of doing things. So how do you do, how would you even attempt to kind of work that view of the world into your curriculum? Because it's changing so much. So uh, yeah, education, you know, academia kind of gets, um, uh, you know, the joke is that you have fast adopters, you know, uh, conservative adopters, then you have government, and then behind it is education, okay. right? Right. We're, we're traditionally behind that because the, the old joke is you teach how you were taught. Yes. So lots of times inflectively, uh, you know, I, I personally like Perl. Perl language to me made sense. I like it a lot. I'm not going to teach Perl, right? I'm not going to show it newly now, but, you know, if I had my way, for instance, I would teach Perl, right? But we would know that eh, that probably wouldn't be the most relevant tool to teach, you know, now. Um, <clears throat> so the way we look at it, too, and then the speed also, something like Docker. Um, Docker is just kind of amazing because we see it come on the scene 2013, 14, 15, go crazy, and then... In the last couple of years, we see it realized that there wasn't really a business case. It was hard to make a business case, and then it sold half of itself to Marantis. Right. Uh, and now Red Hat's kind of sensing the blood in the water, and they're like, well, we got Podman and Builda, so you know, just come over and use our stuff, right? And then there right. was always r rumors that like Microsoft would buy them. And so the question is, if you blink, you know, Docker's a CNCF standard, but maybe – I don't know, maybe goes away in a couple of years, right? Right. And so the education could be like, well, let's just wait this one out. This okay. might just be a flash in the pan. That's and then right. we don't have to worry about Docker or containers in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you're like, well, okay, hmm, do we, you know, load up on this so that we're ready for the next thing or do we wait? Um, and then that's also how you want to structure things together because you don't want to become – uh, you know, oh, we're all a Red Hat shop or we're all a Microsoft shop or pick your technology because then, you know, server 2008, right? Oops, deprecated, right? You, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're in trouble then. Yeah. Um, so that is a struggle. So one way we want to kind of buttress that is, uh, you know, Chicago, being close to Chicago, we're a 10-minute uh, subway ride, L-train ride into the loop where all the major companies are. Uh, they have their headquarters. There's a huge meetup, you know, .com uh, 
you know, after hours meeting. Um, it's a in America you have like group meetups and they they serve pizza and they have speakers and mm-hmm. hackathons. Um, you know, going to those, seeing what they're doing. Um, you know, conferences like DevOps Days Chicago, right, which is not a vendor conference. It's kind of a more of a culture and technology conference. Uh, going to places like that, that kind of gives you the temperature of what the industry around you is doing. So that gives you a little bit of guidance on what you're, um, you know, where you should be teaching, mm-hmm. right? You kind of see the adoption roughly within the major city that's close by to you. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so I guess what about the the challenge? I think it would be a challenge, at least from my perspective, around so much of what I think a lot of these methodologies methodologies and attempts to like, you know, if you will, just make it easier and better to develop software. Like they only be the need for them, I believe kind of only becomes apparent to like an individual once you like work in a fairly large organization or like something fairly complicated. So, um, like my, like, again, going doing just what you said, (laughs) you know, thinking back to like how I was taught was we did do class projects and they were fun, but it was like, um, like maybe three or four people on a project. And yeah. you know, it's fairly easy to just like also, I mean, the, I mean, now you could do it even differently. You could probably just be online yeah. at home in Slack, but we, we would just sit in the lab, right? We would just, mm-hmm. we would just talk, right? So there was, you know, yeah. there's no process. It was just like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, you broke this. You know, there's <laughs> a lot of just, just ad hoc stuff. And, and, it, told, and it works honestly in a college environment, mm-hmm. 100%. Like I wouldn't even recommend you do it any other way. So is yeah. it a challenge to try to impart on a group of students that, yeah. hey, you know, you really should spend some time, like the meta th- thought, like think yeah. thinking about how software should be built, like just what you're saying, thinking right. about source control and mm-hmm. how we process change and how we adjust requirements. Like, mm-hmm. does that resonate with them or is that something you have to like kind of really like paint a picture and truly try to convince them this is an important topic to think about? Yeah, the um, so recently in our program, uh, do, there's a national accreditation for IT programs uh, called ABET, and basically they say you're you know you have all you meet all these standards of uh, what a technology program should look like. And we introduced a capstone course, and the capstone course uh, we have all the seniors who are about to graduate. We've got 70 people this spring so right now and we broke them into teams of five and four and we basically have you know 15 weeks a semester they rotate through every three weeks give or take uh they each have a job and they rotate every sprint project manager developer junior developer it operations ui ux and we basically ask them to say look uh either reverse engineer an existing product so like make your make a little copy of instagram or if they had some student project that they built throughout other classes, we say, hey, take that to the logical extension, but you need to build it from scratch, manage it, right? Uh, you know, you got to use VMs or containers, and you got to manage this project, deploy code, uh, build the infrastructure scripts to build it all. So we we unleash them there so that they can kind of see, the hope is that they see, okay, these are the barriers, these are the boundaries, and then however far they get, we challenge them, like, okay, go back and add you know, self, you know, uh, HTTPS cert. Okay. Now do a uh, round robin load balancing with NGINX, add that in mm-hmm. and make it all deployable and automated and able to run on your laptop. So we push them into arenas that no, they're not all going to be software developers and they're all not going to be it infrastructure, but at least they'll ha- be able to say, Hey, I went through and I could deploy this Instagram, you know, hello world clone. Uh, and when they go out to that interview, right, That's because good. they can get introduced to each of those aspects. No, I like so that. I think, I was yeah, say, that helps. Do you, um, <laughs> to make it, to make it like more real world, you should just email them like in the middle of the night, be like, Hey, tomorrow I need five <laughs> slides on, uh, where we're at, uh, with your Instagram clone and, uh, the go to market plan, because I, I got to present this to, uh, the executives. So that would, that would yeah. be, uh, or, or you should do the other one would be like your own little chaos monkey. Hey, Turns out, guys, so just everybody's thing is down. It's broken. <laughs> just go break it and then uh, and just it. fix it. So that would be uh, that would, of course, make sure no one would ever take this class. No one would ever yes. want to take this class. But yeah, uh, that would right. be the last because uh, actually AWS and I was going to ask about some of the major mm-hmm. the mega clouds. Do um, do any of the mega clouds like offer you any of the workshops and things like that? Like whether AWS or Azure or GCP, any of those? AWS because they've had uh, an education. Uh, account 
for the longest, I think almost for a decade now. Mm -hmm. They actually give you, if you sign up with a, a an email that has an ED unit, they'll give you $100 worth of Amazon credit every year renewable. Oh, nice. As long as, yeah, access to um, all kinds of training guides and you get a little discount on some of their cert certifications for Amazon certified like application engineer. Mm -hmm. um, and they have little training things. On top of Amazon has a free, free tier, so... You can, um, the nice thing is that people can do work assignments, but they have that little extra credit where they can kind of experiment. They can, you know, try something. And if it doesn't work, they're like, you know what? This Docker thing didn't work. I'm just going to shut it down. Yeah. yeah uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Google just started their academic thing a couple of years ago. It's not as robust, but it, it's getting there. Microsoft has its own, uh, it's tied into also their free software offerings of other on-prem products, you know, things like Visio and um, Server, you know, 2016, things like that. Um, so students use that, but outside of the Amazon credit, there is sometimes a little contention using the, the public clouds because we're just doing research and students might be experimenting. Uh, the cloud in that sense might not be the right uh thing because if you forget and leave your app on, <laughs> yeah. well, you're here. Surprise. Here's a thousand dollar bill. Yep. Um, you know, we've had in the past a student accidentally post to a public repo their, their RSA keys. Yeah. They came back the next day with a thousand dollar bill, you know, now, <laughs> yep. thankfully Amazon forgives all of that. They're very kind because they don't want, you know, a thousand from you. They want quarter of a million dollars from Netflix, right? Yep, they they want the big fish. Um, so sometimes that causes students to have fear, saying like, well, I don't want to launch this because oh, if I forget or I'll get charged. So the flip side is a university, which makes a really good partner in the sense is since students are there, we have a large pool of students wanting to volunteer or help or within assignments. It's kind of like a captive labor pool. Uh, and since we're not a company, we don't have like a profit or, a, you know, we obviously you know, customers to serve internally, but not external, we can kind of afford to play around with the bleeding edge or, uh, you know, just say, hey, you want to install OpenStack? All right, let's go get the open source and let's build it ourselves. And oh, by the way, we've got these four old Dell servers laying around from a pre, you know, somebody left them from a previous whatever grant. Hey, let's just grab them and let's set it up and do it. Like um, it. And we've got the ability to do that. So we can pursue a lot of the open source stuff and run things internally that you might not do in a business because you don't have the extra arms and or time. Uh, but a university has plenty of time and plenty of arms. Yeah, that's awesome. Because yeah, as you were kind of talking about, I guess the other thing that I think that's usually, and I'd be interested to hear if it's actually available to your students, like most Azure, certainly Azure, AWS, and GCP, they all have pretty extensive online training, you know, around their various yep. certifications and things like that. So, I mean, that would be I don't know. I don't know how interesting students are, but it's certainly if you want to learn any of those and yeah. you have a background, um, most of the time, I feel like all those resources, at least, you know, watching the videos, get, you know, yeah. doing some of the exercises and things like that is, is usually accessible. I don't know. Is it accessible to you or am I just talking because I have access? I think everyone has access. Uh, through the yeah, Amazon's education portal. Um, and, and that brings up an interesting question, too. And I'd be interested to see what some of the, you know, uh, in the chat channel, if people weigh in. Um, it, the old discussion of certs, right? Are they relevant? You know, like, uh, should you spend the time to get them? Now, granted, if you're working in a company that's an AWS company, probably it serves you. But if you're, say, coming out of school, uh, is a university degree worth more than four Amazon certs? <laughs> you know, or, you know, what's the exchange rate? Um, you know, if you had that option of like skipping college and just getting 20 certs, you know, would that yeah, be Yeah, you know, I think it would acceptable? be my immediate reaction to that is like, sh it's sort of a short term, long term kind of thing. I, okay. In the short term, I think the certifications would be worth more because there's just so okay. many jobs where people are like, I need somebody that can do this on AWS today. Right. And yeah. if you have those sort of those certifications are a nice shortcut to be like, OK, if they have the certification and I, I do a 30 minute phone screen with them and I just kind of validate yeah. they have some general knowledge and they prove to me that, you know, they did the certification. And they know it like I'm going to have work for them tomorrow. Mm. Right now. Right. But it may be but it may be one of those things where it's like 
for your from your career standpoint, you know, where you may want to go if you like think about starting your career right out of school and then, you know, wait, maybe becoming an executive one day, like it would be good to have the educational uh. background to be thinking broader about it. Like not just uh, and this is kind of the argument. And but I think some of that, you know, to honest, like some of that's very much very, I would think it's almost very personal to the student. Like, sure. Cause I see people that are great at being a solution architect and really mm-hmm. that's all they want to do. They just want to yeah. go talk to clients about yeah. problems and it's usually applying how to use the current set of tools and how to solve the problem with that. And so they're the skill set they really need is just to keep refreshing their knowledge around the tools, right. Mm-hmm. In the, in the current patterns. And like, once you're mm-hmm. good at doing that, I mean, I don't know. I don't think, you know what I mean? That just becomes a self-fulfilling skill. And if that's what you want to do and you want to be great at that, then I don't know if you need to spend a ton of time, you know, cultivating things like on the business side or understanding the larger picture of things, or even, even to some degree, like all of the software development, if you're just kind of targeting, helping with that. So if you're that kind of person, right, that that's really what you want to do. And you, you like, I I think of it as like puzzle solver. If you just want to solve these puzzles over and over and over again, you're probably set, you're probably good, but I think yeah. what happens is a lot of times people do it for a while and then they they sort of want to look up and say, well, what else can uh, I do? Like, what else is out there? Um, okay. So, I don't know what what is um, do people um, do your cl- people in your class do they actually go out and get some of the certifications before graduating? Have, are they doing it proactively? Yeah, a few people have. They've reported back that they took the time, especially during the summer, to kind of study up and come back with a couple of the AWS certs mm-hmm. with some of the uh, material that AWS provides for the free education area. So, um, you know, not to say AWS is the end-all, be-all. There are other products, right? Uh, but they're just so big and they provide so much. It's, it's kind of hard, especially for a university where it's so much free stuff. You're like, well, okay, this is something we can start, but we want to make sure to say, hey, the world, you know, Jeff Bezos does not own every single computer, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> the world is more than AWS, but let's look at what they invented, you know, EC2 and S3. What what are these? Why do they work, you know? Well, uh, I know the cloud vendors will not like what I uh, the following statement, but like I I personally when I look at a resume, like if you've got one, if you've got like a couple mm-hmm. from any one cloud, then I'm that's good. Like I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. well, if, you know, if the work turns out to be if you have the one in AWS, but we're doing a lot of Azure stuff, like that's yeah. fine. It just because it shows me you can do it, right? And it's like right. once I get you into an Azure console, it's going to be mm-hmm. different, but it's not going to be completely different. And especially if yeah. if I ask you as if I was hiring someone and I said, "Hey, this right. works. You're all your experience is AWS, but this is Azure. Do you want to learn Azure?" As long as they mm-hmm. like give a compelling yes, and you're like, "Sure, go." You know, it's yeah. not, not going to be a problem. But but I know. I mean, because uh, I work with a variety of these partners. I'm, they all have very, very different certification programs. They're all very <laughs> right. good. We right. love them all equally, but, yes. uh, you know, just do one of them would be my advice. Pick the one that you like and do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. all right. Well, what about, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to get a little bit of your background, like, cause, okay. uh, we've I don't interview, don't, don't talk to a lot of professors. How did sure. you become a professor? Like, how did you actually get into this? So I managed to join up at Illinois Tech at the turn of the century, um, shortly after I graduated high school, shortly after 9-11. So that's kind of where my world splits, you know, across the turn of the century. Um, And I was interested in computers ever since the beginning. My dad was a programmer way back in uh, college. He got to get out of the foreign language requirement because he took um, COBOL programming. That was counted as a foreign language back then. That is the worst. I've I've heard people do this now, too. I'm like, this. talk about two things that have nothing to do with each other, learning a foreign language and learning a computer language nothing to do with each other but i know several people sure. who've done this but go on but go on. yeah in 1970 whatever three i guess they considered it like yeah, it was that not? foreign um but so he bought home a commodore 64 back in the 80s so when all the friends had nintendos we had a commodore i had a commodore 64 so right. i was exposed to programming from the very beginning you know little basic typing out basic programs out of the books um, those kind of things bought a PC when the PCs started to come out, the, uh, old Packer bells, you yeah, know, of course so I had some of those. So I kind of just mirrored the PC, the IBM PC and the growth of the PC market. My age just kind of matched everything right into the, you know, the dot com dial up and then, you know, the web AOL and the web. So we were exposed to that in junior high and high school. Uh, and then, you know, got to, um, you know, I, I dreamed of playing football, but I'm only five seven American football, so I'm only five seven. That didn't quite work out, that dream. So I had it my parents said I had to get a real job. Yep. So uh went into computers, uh saw a computer program at Illinois Tech, joined in, 
uh, got in on the ground floor when they were starting this uh, information technology program, uh, got a job internally managing their internal infrastructure and servers, and then kind of worked my way up, um, you know, running a little help desk training, you know, five or 10 workers every couple semesters. The natural evolution was, well, hey, can you teach a class of 20 people an introduction to hardware, you know, an A plus kind of style class? Mm -hmm. I said, okay, sure. And then, you know, kind of stuck around. And then um, there was a lady who, I don't know how she did this, but she was 35 and she retired. Um, Oh, wow. I I think she was in on the dot com. She'd been doing like dot net from day one. And so she retired. And then they said, well, um, you know, can you pick, you know, slide into her position? I said, okay, I could try. So I kind of went from the active IT and the customer service slid into kind of teaching a lot of the introduction classes for a few years, you know, introduction to programming, introduction to hardware. And then kind of as I would have problems saying, you know, uh, 2010, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I really want to set up this environment for whatever Java or, you know, J2E, SE, um, or Glassfish or Spring, but I got to install all this manually. I wish there was a way to automate it. Well, 2010, 2011, you start to see things like Vagrant coming Mm -hmm. around, right? And I'm like, oh, this solves my problem, right? This this reduces uh, all this work time and I can repeat this and I can give this script to a bunch of students and then it saves me having to you know, put in uh, tickets to request a whole lab or orchestrating, you know, client server. I can just say, hey, let's run this local. Awesome. Uh, and and then from there, it got bigger because um, a university um, is by general nonprofit. But uh, the way universities make, you know, pay most of their bills, because you have things that are non-money making, like, uh, you know, staff, right? They don't generate revenue, but you need them to you know, keep the lights on and keep the building and customer service. So a lot of it is paid through for uh, research universities, um, through grants, through private grants, government grants. And um, though the, the people who can get the grants obviously get the get the money and it could be, you know, small grant could be millions of dollars. Well, being in a small school like IIT, we naturally were at maybe a disadvantage size-wise against something like Stanford, you know, a big university, right, which has 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 people. Uh, we have only about 6,000 people. Um, so one of the things that came apparent was perhaps we can outcompete larger universities if we can deploy the software faster. So it, Everything within a university these days, no matter what program it is, everybody's building software. They're building applications. Right. Psychology's building applications. Business is building applications. You know, there's startups. You know, students are building them. Like find a study, uh, st- find a study buddy little app. Um, so that everyone's building it. But what happens is, you get it to run a little sample on your laptop, but you're like, okay. I want to put this in the you know Google Play Store, or uh, I need this to run on these three you know big servers I just bought with all this grant money. Um, you know, you know you could install Windows and have a desktop and manually do it, but that's you know then you're dealing with you know Windows problems, not uh, the software problems, mm-hmm. and or you're forcing other department people to become. IT specialists, right? Or you're waiting for that unicorn to fly out of the sky that's it's a PhD in, in physics, but also a PhD, you know, uh, in IT, right? And normally that, that that those people come every blue moon. Right. Um, and so what happened was just a lot of people kept, you know, you know, you have hallway conversations, water cooler conversations, and they'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to build this, I'm trying to deploy this, and, and it's frustrating. And I would say, why? Well, we're over here in the IT to program. And since we're not a science, we're not computer science, we're not, you know, engineering, we kind of don't have the science, so to speak, to fall back on. But we can help you get to your goal. And so now we're kind of internally challenged to help all these other programs get their software out faster. So we've seen a lot of like teamwork working together with chemistry, chemical engineering, uh, you name it, programs you wouldn't think there would be a natural meetup, but they have a problem and we have a solution. We've got the ability, the know-how and the, the students to work with them. And then that lets them focus on the science together. We get these applications out, you know, complete the grant work quicker, can apply for larger grants, can beat larger schools that may be stumbling over themselves just because of the IT. 
Hmm. Interesting. So it's it's a lot like uh, you know in the corporate world, right? It's all about enabling the business and faster ROI. And so in yeah. your case, it sounds like you know you know I've, just like listening to what you said there, it's like hey, faster grant applications, right? Faster applications, yeah. like more accurate, better. You know, and then that's going to have yeah. you. So it's it is in in the end, right? It's like uh, what is Mark Andreessen software eating the world? It's like yes. so software eating the university, right? It's like hey, yeah. it's a competitive edge for you too. And that's where then my teaching role comes from because it's like a, a virtuous cycle because we have you know requests coming into the department. Uh, I say, well, hmm, uh, you know, we could deploy this on an OpenStack cluster locally, or would this work better as Docker uh, containers on you know a Kubernetes three-node Kubernetes cluster? Okay, now I got to go deploy you know this three-node Kubernetes cluster and kind of manage it internally. Um, you know, and then what I'm learning through there, I'm going to feed back, you know, through other classes, you know, yeah. software development class. OK, well, let me, uh, you know, uh, we're running a summer class where it's an introduction to containers where we basically say, here's an application, a JavaScript application, Node.js and Express. You're going to deploy it as VMs. You're going to deploy it as Docker Compose. And then you're going to deploy it as uh, you're going to build a three node Kubernetes cluster and deploy it as pod manifest. Right. Go. Right. And, you know, we'll talk about what each thing's means and, how you know, the abstractions in between. But most of the work will be you uh, just it. simply deploying it. Yeah. No. And I think that's that sounds awesome. I, everyone needs to do that. We should make that part of the English department. Like, who doesn't <laughs> need to know that? So, well, what about, you know, most, uh, you know, when you talk to a lot of professors at other universities, and you know, they're always talking mm -hmm. about research. Right. You know, just what you're mm -hmm. talking about, getting grants, doing research, mm -hmm. chemistry and all that kind of stuff. What uh, in your role do you have active research topics that you're trying to both research and you know I guess publish on? That's uh, that's a good question. Yes. So uh, some of it becomes uh, researching on the kind of meta ness of introducing this uh, these computing paradigms. It's kind of fancy professor talk, but you know the way of thinking. So if we went to a, a university and every department could you know, whatever, there was an open shift platform as a service, and they could understand, push what they need to do in GitHub. And as soon as they push code, it automatically builds and deploys, and it's all internally secure. What happens to the nature of university research? So some of my research there is kind of meta, like conducting an actual experiment, conducting surveys, right, building mm -hmm. this thing, and then offering it to others, training them, and seeing what the learning curve is, and, and kind of proving that we believe this methodology enhances everyone. And therefore, you know, uh, hopefully the research is not just a spurious research. It's actual, you know, curing cancer and, and you know, fighting uh, environment, uh, you know, uh, climate change, right? It's really improving people's lives. So we're not just doing stuff to do it. We want to say, hey, we think we can make a big impact in the world. Yeah, there's probably a nice little niche there for you because so many of the researches that we end up talking about, the surveys are – vendor sponsored and they rely on a lot of uh, self-selecting uh, responses. So you always, I feel like you always end up with like a very, uh, a sample that's more, more advanced than the actual random sample. So there's probably a, yeah. you know, someone that brought some real academic rigor <laughs> to like the next DevOps uh, with DARPA survey or one of those. It would probably yeah. be enlightening to see, because I, I think it would be quite different, right? If you sort of had yeah. some like normalized random sample of, uh, this yeah. is what the average IT person is doing. I think it would look significantly different than some of the results that we yeah. see today. And and research in the university that goes out to uh, business has changed over the last 20 years. You look at conferences like Usenics and, and things that used to be like 50-50 vendor and academia. The vendors have pretty much pulled back mm -hmm. where it's almost 80-90% academia and you have very little – you might have vendor sponsors – Right. But you have very little vendors like, here's a paper we're submitting. Um, and some of that could just be financial motives. Um, but some of the last academic research papers that became major products um, are probably like Spark, right? Came out of <laughs> – yep, uh, uh, yep. Right? And Super, then uh, – right. Or not not Spark like uh, the computer, but uh, Spark like Apache Spark. Oh, uh, yeah, Apache Spark, yes. Uh -huh. Spark, right? Mm -hmm. 2012, it came out in California. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Mesos. Yep. Uh, Apache Mesos, I think, came out of Stanford. Well, it wasn't Apache then, but it came out of Stanford. So you see that those research things became uh, bigger products. And then, of course, the, the Spark people made Databricks and they went and made their own consulting company. Uh, but beyond that, you don't see too many academic projects leading to like lately. And, of course, it could change over the years. It took a long time for those to grow 
into you know serious uh, large projects. But you don't see too many large things like that because there's kind of been this academic and and industry split. And I don't know exactly why, but it's there. Well, sometimes I've noticed like AI is a good one where AI sort of like is gone. You know, people always talk about these AI winters. Like it gets a lot right. of hype, and then it sort of. Re- I always think it like retreats to academia where people are just studying it there. And then yeah. you know, recently in the last whatever five ten years, it's become you know, all this machine learning. So it's, it seems like all this yeah. academic research that was being done is like, oh, wait a minute, let's let's go read <laughs> that again. So um, I guess like everything, it's all about I guess timing, path dependency, like all of mm-hmm. that comes together. So there's probably something um, being studied right now that no one's really paying attention to. And it's like, actually, that's exactly what we need, right? Uh, it's, it's yeah. Jump out. All right, well, let's yeah. get your take on a couple of technologies. Um, okay. What, you know, so you, you are the person, you have to make these decisions. Like mm-hmm. how much, like, uh, what do you think of uh, containers and Kubernetes in general? It's something we talk about constantly. Is it, uh, is this going to be the next thing that you're talking about for 10 years or will this be a flash in the pan? I think uh, the containers are the right abstraction, right? You know, virtual machine, right? It's it's a machine abstraction, whereas an OS container is an OS abstraction, right? And that's mm-hmm. really what we wanted kind of all along. I, I believe developers wanted, right? The ability to, you know, the who I can't remember who said it, but uh, Docker is really just 21st century elf, right? The, 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 <laughs> right. the Linux executable format. I, yep. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Um it, when you think about that, it takes away the, 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 the problems we've had for the last 10, 15. Well, I mean, it doesn't take away the problems, but uh, it, it puts the problem in the right sphere, the right abstraction. So the question becomes not, um, are containers you know, good? Are they, are they light VMs? I think that the, the first point of business, and hopefully I, at the, at the at myself and others, by the way, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not just a lone wolf at the university doing it. There's a whole crew of great people uh, with me. Um, can they get the, the right abstraction? Can they get people to understand this is what it actually is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that will determine its success and that will determine seeding uh, that next generation of people that maybe people listening to this will hire uh, that they'll understand, okay, here's the place for a virtual machine. This is what the virtual machine abstraction means. It's a machine and this is what a container and then its abstraction goes here, just like screwdriver, hammer, power saw. Mm-hmm. Right. Very clear abstractions, very clear place. Um, and the fact that they're available, I'd like to see that kind of technology commonly used so mm-hmm. that someone could, you know, on their laptop, you know, if yeah. they have a you know, virtual machine, Linux and then uh, Docker and they could start to deploy a couple things or Minikube, uh, you know, little Kubernetes and pod manifests. So I think the real power of that is not so much is it a light VM but it's the declarative programming, right? Versus mm-hmm. the imperative programming. Yep. So we're in an imperative world where, you know, there's that, we want to touch it. We want to manipulate it. Even if it's, you know, inefficient, I want to SSH in, right? And I want to see that I change it versus, okay, uh, make it this way. Three replicas, listen on this port. Uh, here's the health checks, go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and well, really, so that's one thing we want to uh, really instill. Yeah, I was gonna say I really like your phrase there. It's uh, you know, it's the right level of abstraction. So I think that you know, to me, that's what I would. That's both what I tell people and what I would tell anyone is like, yeah, absolutely, spend some time learning containers and understanding that level of abstraction. And then you know, like take something like Kubernetes is like I don't know, container orchestrators. Well, they may come and go, and you know, you may see different things, but I don't think you're gonna regret um, knowing exactly what a container is, how to build them, how to use them. Now, the next one, though, let's, uh, what's your take on, you know, functions and serverless? Is, is this the new paradigm? Like, um, what's your take on that one? Um, serverless is fascinating because it, it helps a lot of things. So, for instance, um, a lot of repetitive processes. Uh, you know, Amazon, uh, we'll use Amazon's Lambda as one example. Of course, there are other examples. But uh, they saw all these repeated, uh, you know, events where people would spin up virtual machines, launch a function to do, for instance, image resizing, and then dynamically shut it down. And they said, well, if we could do this with, the, you know, the Lambda process, uh, one, internally, they could streamline it, which is great. Because that allows the developer now to start thinking about thornier problems down the road. Like, okay, I've got all my images resized, but you know, how do I make any money off this, you know, this app? Or how do I reduce bandwidth in transiting them or store deep storage? 
uh, or other issues. But what it does is it kind of masks what's going on under the hood. So like the last question talked about our abstraction, we're still trying to figure out imperative versus declarative programming. And, you know, is the container a light VM or is it, you know, what is it, right? <laughs> uh, and then you're like, oh, by the way, it's uh, don't pay no attention to the man behind the glass. Right. Here's serverless. I, I think you do someone a disservice who's still trying to figure out those steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay in the university to kind of reinvent the wheel and be very verbose. And, you know, I tell students, I say, hey, go ahead and make a bunch of mistakes here because you know what? It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but I mean, no one's going to lose a job. You know, your department's not going to get laid off, right? Make those mistakes now. So when you go to industry, you'll be like, okay, I, I kind of know uh, there. So um, where it's used and where we can find professors who have maybe come from industry, you know, sometimes people like to take a time off from working in industry. <laughs> they get a little burned out. Sure. So they'll be like, oh, I'll take a semester. And I'll, I'll come teach a, you know, a JavaScript, you know, programming class. So, oh, that's great. Uh, if they can do it and do it well, we'd love to expose people to it. Um, we wouldn't want to expose like first year students, I think, because um, there's a little too much hand wavy, you know, but someone who's been fourth, fifth year, you know, graduate student, uh, I think they'd be more than willing to, to look at serverless because serverless is powerful, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and you can advance so much beyond uh, by using it. I like it. All right. Well, that's good. Well, listen, before we get out of here, I wanted to uh, make sure that we took some time to answer some questions from your students. So you, yeah. you so diligently prepared. And we'll, we will uh, do our best to give okay. them good, good advice. So, so what are uh, – so I guess these would all be people – I mean, unfortunately, kind of a bad time to graduate. But I guess they're all yeah. probably finishing up their degrees, ready to enter yep. the, uh, the world and, and take IT by storm. So what do they yes. want to know? What do they want to know from us? Well, um, we have like groups of them, about 70 of them. They're eminently hireable. So the first question students always ask is, are you hiring? <laughs> of course, I know you have a jobs uh, tab on the, uh, on the um, chat window. But uh, in general, what's your opinion of like hiring right now? Are things kind of frozen? Things kind of? I would say so far, I mean, I think, you know, it's an ever-changing moment in, in society today. But I would say right now, I think people are still yeah, especially I, in fact, I saw an article today talking about listing out like IT internships from like Microsoft, mm. Google and AWS. Okay. And, and most of them were going to uh, plan to hire maybe even more virtual interns, which uh, mm-hmm. you know, sounds interesting. So we'll see what that's like. Uh, so I think that people in, you know, with the right skill set, you're still going into like a, an area of need. So that's for sure. I think the biggest thing. Um, is just how aggressive you are. So you you mentioned uh, the software defined talk Slack. Like there's mm-hmm. tons of people in there. People do post jobs and stuff like that. So those are the kinds of opportunities. If you're, you want to get beyond just the job board or searching Indeed or the corporate sites, like finding an area of people that are interested. If certainly an area that you're interested in, and whether it's software defined mm-hmm. talk Slack or many of the other podcasts, uh, or even some of the open source projects. Like if you take the time to get into those various environments because most of them have slacks or some other type Mm -hmm. of online environment and you start asking around you're going to get you know just just showing the initiative right it's probably going to get you some some good leads so Mm -hmm. i would say all the major you know companies are still hiring i think if you're the more aggressive you are getting into these communities will probably give you better job leads and i think that's what Mm -hmm. people are always looking for especially someone that walks in and kind of knows a little bit um, ah. off the off the street and then i and then i would contrast that with you know certainly early in my career it wasn't a big company but i actually went through they called it boot camp but you see a lot yeah. of these like onboarding programs and i mm-hmm. i do um it's one of these things like i actually still have friends that i went through that program with so i guess in some ways oh. it was a little boot camp but but um i you know like certainly i think all of the major ones ibm microsoft ADFs, they usually have programs like that so that's oh, another okay. thing if you can find the the recruiter for that um, uh. I think those are a good, like I tell people like, it's a great way to enter a company, maybe do it for mm-hmm. a year or two. Cause you're going to learn mm-hmm. a lot. Like, do you like that company or you like that uh. culture? And then you kind of got it behind you and then you can decide like, I want to go work at a startup. I want to stay here. Um, oh. so those, those would be my advice, but yeah, people are still hiring. So, you know, get out okay. there, you know, the more aggressive you are, but this is back to like <laughs> we talked about before. It's like, Hey, the people that get out and talk to more people can have a lot more opportunities. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so this next question follows up kind of that one, uh, and maybe I can kind of uh, push it together. Um, 
what in your opinion is kind of the day two process? I know a lot of people looking for their first job are worried about getting the interview, but let's say they base the interview, they're hired. What's what's day two? They show up first day and what's the onboarding process? You know, especially the senior managers or, you know, developers might be 15, 20 years older. In your just experience in the various places you've worked, what kind of uh, onboarding processes have you seen or can they expect? So I, I think I've seen just about all of it. So I talked about earlier, I, if you join like kind of a new hire program, the advantage of that is they're going to have a really nice onboarding process. It's probably going to like meet with HR. They're going to have regular checkpoints. They'll have uh, both some social things to get involved in. They're also going to usually have pretty predefined mm -hmm. things that they want you to do with your manager, like getting in, meeting people, setting up your environment, doing some projects and things like that. So uh, the advantage of going that route is almost like, you know, it's, probably as close to like an academic onboarding as you're going to get. Cause the, right. if you will, the corporate world is still, like, they realize like, Hey, we need to, these people have never been at a big company. Let's give them something right. they're used to. Now yeah. I will contrast that with a lot of places you're going to get <laughs> it's the opposite. You're going to get a laptop <laughs> and it may or may not have email access. And you may spend the first week just trying to get uh, access to something, get, you know, your forms <laughs> filled out. It's, so it's a little, right. it can be a brutal reality, right? Well, there's like, huh. Hey, you just got to figure it all out. So, but regardless uh. of which environment you're in, I think what I would just tell everyone is quickly identify what are the things that are most important to the company, right? So maybe it is mm -hmm. like learning how to deploy, you know, that software, right? Whatever it is, like learning right. that development pipeline, or maybe it's uh, triaging some bugs, right? Or yeah. it's, uh, you know, figure out what is the most valuable thing and spend your time and effort asking questions and learning that. Because if you're asking questions around something that's really important to the company, people mm -hmm. are going to help you. If you're asking questions of like, you know, that are maybe less relevant or like, you know, this is a, a node shop and you're trying to like, I'm going to learn this other programming language that no one's using. Uh -huh. right? You know, people are not going to be that excited about that. So find out right. what's most important to it. See if you can like absorb, learn that the culture and then at the same time, be deciding for yourself, like, is this the culture I want to be mm -hmm. in, right? Is this the kind of place I want yeah. to work? Because I, don't, I think really 90 days, six months in, you're, you're going to know right away if this is the kind of thing. Sure. And I, I was uh, a long time ago a co-op, I guess, you know, a glorified intern somewhere else. And, like, I always right. tell people that job just taught me I didn't want to do that job. So sometimes ah, that's a good learning okay. process. So, okay. so that's how I'd approach it. Uh all right. I think that's a really good approach. Let me skip down here to one that kind of asks, talks to the senior engineer here. Um, just like uh, children, if you have children, right, you're, there's the constant battle of how do you expose your own children to good things, quality things, you know, uh, music, uh, movies, quality things, but without making them relive your life or reliving your life through them. Say, hey, if I do Java when I was 10, I would have been great. So as a senior engineer, when new hires come in, how do you encourage them to take a look at this without saying, all right, day two, you're going to learn Kubernetes and OpenStack and, you know, every bash parameter and you're going to know it because I know it. Yeah. I mean, I would say the, this is again, I think more like a personal thing, like how do you personally learn? But there's a lot of stuff written, um, to trying to think of like Gene Kim's book, right? The IT mm -hmm. book, was it, what is that book? Uh, the whole, like, you know, basically the fable they go through, um, and explain. Oh yeah. The Phoenix, like, uh, Phoenix project. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Phoenix project. So, like, really, you could just read that book, and that is going to give you a great window into corporate environments. And so it's, it's kind of you, the person. It's like, how much of that can you internalize and take versus how much of that are you going to have to experience on your own, right? So, like, you can read the book, and I'm, I'm like this, too. Like, sometimes you get it, and you totally internalize it. Other times, like, you actually need to live through the outage at the middle of the night, yeah. right? And you have to just wow, like we had no idea why that went down. Like we have no idea. Like we just, and then you, know, you have to do the postmortem and that, that will become the, the burning, yeah. <laughs> the burning scar in your soul around yes. that. So, so I think it's a combination of both. Hopefully, okay. you know, as I think, and I think anyone that's entered into your program is probably mm -hmm. ahead, right? Because they've already kind of figured out, like, I want to learn beyond just the academic stuff. I want to learn really how it's done. So they're probably already predisposed of that. So, so if you kind of go in with that, like, I need to really absorb what is the current mm -hmm. culture of this company? What are the uh, current development methodologies? Where do I perceive yeah. weaknesses? And mm -hmm. then kind of use that as a tool, because that's going to be a tool that you're going to want to use to right. evaluate every job opportunity you're given going forward. Because it's like right. when I go into that environment and after I answer all the coding questions or whatever, 
Like, mm-hmm. what is the, the process that they described of developing software? And does it match up to how I want to work in IT? Because that's going to give you job satisfaction. Yeah. So then, in your opinion, is DevOps something that can be taught? I know DevOps is not a thing, but these these principles can be taught in school? Or is it something only you learn after you've had a decade of scars, like you come to this realization. Uh, we have this discussion a lot. A lot of industry people go back and forth on it. I think to, to a certain extent, like you do have to live it. But the thing that you can walk in with is openness, right? Around, mm. wow, it's like I need to really internalize that like things are constantly changing and this idea of continuous deployment like I'm very open to that idea, like because it made mm. me even feel a little bit foreign to. It. Even in an academic setting, back to what right. I you know, that that experience I talked about, where we were all just in a lab and we were just talking about it, and yeah. and it just worked. It's like, like the people that leave that and be like, well, that environment worked well there, but like I really should be open to new environments. Like that's going to be those are the type uh. of people who are going to gravitate to like, oh, I'm going to go to the DevOps days. I'm going to listen. Yeah. I'm going to learn. So. The people that are more likely to do that, and I think probably people coming right out of school are generally more open in their mindset. It's probably the people that have been going for like 10 years that just mm. do not want to change. They just want to use the tools they've always used. So that'll be a challenge to anybody. It's yeah. like, how open do you remain in your career? Because what's after yeah. DevOps, something new will happen, right? We just were talking right. about some of it. It's like, are you going to be the one that's open to it? Or are you going to be the one telling stories about, oh, uh, you know, we used to do it this way and it always worked? Well, probably yeah. not. It probably didn't always work. So, <laughs> so that would be the, the thing I would do is like continue. Uh, a continuous attitude about learning new development technologies and then selecting jobs where yeah. that quality is really valued. Because there are going to be plenty of jobs where, like, you, you mentioned COBOL earlier, and I think there was mm-hmm. even some talk this week, like, there's still a need for COBOL programmers to, like, update some government systems. Yep. And they're probably doing oh, yeah. things exactly the way they've always done it. So if yeah. that's what you want, right, it, like, yeah. you know, Java will be the COBOL eventually, right? Eventually right. it'll be something like that. You know, that right. would give you a clue as to where, where to spend your time. So building upon that statement about uh, technology change or technology kind of holding firm, um, if someone came to you and said, well, I have a CS degree from uh, from college X, okay, you'd kind of know roughly what you're getting, like standard-wise. But in, let's say, in the next three, four, five years, should colleges be generating people with a bachelor's degree in cloud-native orchestration or a bachelor's degree in DevOps engineering? or a bachelor's degree in infrastructure orchestration management, you know, pick your, pick your terms. But if you saw that on a degree or an interview, does that give you confidence or would say, uh, that's, that's too specific. Like how would you take that as a, you know, or how would a senior manager take that if that becomes the trend? Yeah, I think it's tough. Like, I I don't know if I really build degrees for that specific, like the degrees that, you know, I see that I think I'll continue to see would be just some of the ones you mentioned, computer science, computer engineering, electrical engineering, uh, yeah. like management of information systems, MIS, right. sometimes I see that. Yep. But I would just keep like anything that's sort of, if you will, general. Like if I okay. look at somebody's resume, anything that sort of has general words like that on a system, like that's really all I'm typically looking for. And okay. even that is like we've I've seen, I've worked with a lot of people, I've hired people mm-hmm. um, that have no academic degree in technology. And in fact, sure. a lot of them self-taught, A lot of philosophy majors, occasionally a music Mm -hmm. major, those seem to pop up, you know, just like the minds think that way. So I don't, you know, beyond your first job, it's sort of a, you know, I mean, it's really, it's like your resume (laughs) and your, your degree help Mm -hmm. you get your first job. It's like your LinkedIn profile and your experience are going to get you every other job. You know, it's just like no one really, even some of the top schools, like sometimes people will be like, oh, these people went to like a really top school. And it's like, I don't know. I've worked with a bunch of them from top schools and like, Sometimes they're good, but sometimes it's like, no, yeah. it's like this other guy yeah. that, you know, dropped out three years in because he right. wanted to do something else. Actually, he's the guy, he's the workhorse, you know, and so like, that's the guy you want. So I wouldn't, you know, the degrees and things like that, like I said, beyond getting your first job, I wouldn't stress on, about it too much. Okay. So, and one last question here from uh, the students here. Um, so for decades, there's been uh, vendor neutral uh, certifications, A+, Network+, Plus, you know, a lot of CompTIA stuff. Um, if you look at cloud certifications, they come from the vendors, right? You know, AWS, Azure, Oracle. Um, does this matter? Does this affect credibility of those uh we talked a little bit about it. Does it affect credibility of like, uh, it's better to have a vendor neutral cert or is there this not really an issue? 
to me, I, I'm really primarily interested in the, the vendor specific certifications. I'd much rather see, like if I was choosing to do one, I'd much rather see a vendor, a specific vendor certification from one of them than like a generic, uh, uh, certification from anyone because I kind of like pair it up together, right? Your, your degree is sort of your generic qualifications. Like we know, like you're a smart person, you went to school, you got a degree in any one of the things we talked about. And then it's like, if you couple that with not only do I have that degree, but I actually have very specific practical knowledge in today's AWS console. That's, Uh. that's great. Like if I see that and I see you have a generic certification, it's like, I already kind of knew about that. You already got a college degree. You proved that to Uh. me. Let's move on to the the specific ones. So yeah, and I do, I do. I would say probably the fastest way to employment back to your, I think your initial question would be Mm -hmm. come out of school with your degree. Hopefully you got a good grades, but more importantly, you've got some of the key certifications in any one of these cloud platforms. That's going to be a powerful resume because you're going to be seeking an entry level position. So you're going to, you know, quote unquote, be paid a little bit less, but you know, you're going to have all the the things that people are looking for. I bet you those kind of people get hired pretty, pretty fast. Right. Right. Okay. Well, though, we appreciate that. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, listen, let's, uh, we're pretty much out of time, but Jeremy, where okay. can people find you uh, in, on the intranets? So um, I'm on Twitter, just uh, my name at Jeremy Hajek. Um, you can you know, message me there. Uh, I am in the SDT Slack channel as well. Um, so if anyone's interested in reaching out, uh, we're always looking for uh, people interested to become adjuncts. Right. And uh, if you're interested in maybe a, a project or some research, doing some work together with with companies or just kind of uh, mentoring some some students, we'd always uh, love to have you reach out and uh, you can find me there. OK. And then for those interested, I'll put all that in the show notes and then uh, I'll make sure we have a link here to is what is, what is the short name? Illinois Tech. Can I say that? Is that am I saying yeah, that so- the correct way? We're, we're actually like two – we have two names. We, we've been Illinois Institute of Technology we've, for the last 125 years. We're actually a, a long history. We, we helped invent uh, magnetic tape, uh, the cell phone, and uh, the guy from Linksys, Victor, uh, Victor Sau, graduated from our program. Uh, and then recently we, we've taken on the Illinois Tech mantle. So you may see it as IIT, Illinois Institute of Technology, or Illinois Tech. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to say Illinois Tech because it's easy. Because I looked yes. online. So it looks like that just has a traditional college ed- application, right? You just go online, yes. take your SATs mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So yeah. Yep. So I think we have – I know there's one, Rookie. Rookie, he's always in the track. There's a couple of people that are very are, – some of our youngest listeners may mm-hmm. be uh, interested in applying. And if sure. so, you can uh, find uh, Jeremy. All right, Jeremy. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. And for everyone else, we will talk to you next time.